Yo guys, what's going on? Welcome back to Colorful Convos with Nico, episode 29. Uh, this episode features our guest, Jason Morris, uh, someone who I've met out here moving to Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, and the first person from Utah to be on uh, Colorful Convos with Nico. So, so super excited about it. He is a promoter. He just threw a show festival drive-in thing out in Salt Lake City, Utah called Rollin' Rave all-around good dude, and just some really good conversation about the music industry. We talk about dubstep. We talk about a lot of cool things. Uh, sit back, relax. Episode 29 of Colorful Convos with Nico. It is Friday. I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend. And yeah, we will see you guys at episode 30. I cannot believe it. feels like yesterday we were at 10. Back in June, we are already coming to 30. And... If you're sticking around, awesome. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Appreciate it. Shout out, Jason. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. And here we go. So have you lived in Utah your entire life? Have you were you born and raised here? Yeah, I, I was definitely born and raised in Utah, but uh, my father was a colonel in the okay. military, so I had an extensive background. Uh, lived in Panama, Morocco, Costa Rica. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> okay. So wait. So you were were you born here or were you born somewhere else? Born here. Okay. Okay. And then how old were you when you like went on throughout those that trip? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Panama was when I was four. Okay. Uh, my father was a translator. Okay. And uh, we used to own the Panama Canal. Whoa. And so, uh, you know, uh, the military would go down there and protect it. Yeah. And so I, you know, was just uh, down there living on base with my father. Wow. How how long were you there? Uh, I was there for three months. Wow. Okay. And do you remember like a lot from it or it was is it kind of just like you knew that you lived there kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, awesome question. So some of my first memories, uh-huh. you know, which I think that's that's a great question to ask yourself. You know, what what is your first memory? Yeah, and and you can kind of keep keep digging a little bit deeper into that. And you know, one one of mine is you know just being in Panama, holding my mom's hand. We're just going through the little tiendas, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I have scores of memories down there. Wow. Four years old and just uh, you know living large. That's such a crazy concept. Like, what is your first memory? I never really thought of it, about it that way. Like, I guess I wish I could. I guess if I really sat down long and hard and thought about what is one of the few things that I remember when I was younger. Because, like, I, even the other day I was asked, do you remember being in a stroller? Like, do you ever remember being in a stroller? Nope. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I wish I had that one memory that, like, I could remember those little pieces of life. But so you lived in Panama. And you said you lived in Morocco as well. Lived in Morocco, did a military exchange program over there. Whoa. Um, the U.S. was trying to bolster up the alliance that we had with some of the more uh, Middle Eastern friendly countries. Yeah. Uh, Morocco's not Middle Eastern, but it, it definitely aligns with a lot of those countries and culture and yeah. 
political uh, aspects. That's been so. one of like the places I've always wanted to visit. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it hands looks down, amazing, incredible. If anyone's listening to this, get your one-way ticket <laughs> to Morocco, Marrakesh. I mean, you will see people playing the flute. Okay, in, in the markets, the cobra comes up. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's old a snake school. charmer. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, that sounds like sounds like Aladdin. Yeah, it's it's super cheap over there. Really? Right, right next to Europe, so it's you know very safe. Uh huh. Um, and they just love Western culture too, so it's it's just. Uh, re- really great if you're wanting a, a good vacation. So then you gr- you came back and then you grew up in in Utah. How long have you been here now? Yeah, now I'd, I'd say about 19 years. 19 years. So definitely okay. the majority of my life here. Okay, and you've en- and you've embraced that. I mean, you you hike and shit all the time, right? Like, oh yeah, I, th- I think Utah is uh, it's definitely a hidden gem for sure, as, oh, you, a- as you found out. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I Utah has been so crazy because i feel like it's like like you said like this hidden gem in the west coast where it's like you know you're on the west coast but it you don't feel like you are really you're kind of in your own little world because it's not cali because it's so much cheaper than cali it's not vegas obviously because there's no gambling here there's no drinking after dark here and it's just like you're in like this little crazy place where it's so different from like salt lake to saint george like those two places, St. George and Salt Lake, feel like two different worlds. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, even just looking at Salt Lake City to Park City. Oh, yeah, dude. Park City. Oh, I love Park City out here. I mean, do you board? Do you ski? Yeah, so I'm a skier. Um, I've had a season pass for 10 straight years. Wow. Um, this year, just got my tour set up so I can ditch, you know, any of the resorts themselves because a lot of them closed last year with COVID. Uh-huh. And so with the tour set up, you can, uh, you know, undo your uh, boots and just kind of hike up the snow. Yeah. And then you're able to just get into the back country and just kind of ski wherever you want. There's really no limit at that point. Wow. Ah. See, like in Michigan, we have skiing. We have snowboarding. Okay. But out here, like Park City, that's, quote unquote, the greatest snow on earth. Right. Like that's what it's called. Like people come from all over the world to go to park city in michigan we have just like little little bunny hills <laughs> like we don't, oh, we, we don't have this like we're sitting guys we're sitting outside right now which is so cool by the way jason you're the first guy utah guest that i've had on the show so congrats on oh, that awesome. first first guest from utah i've had people from other states and everything but i live here in utah and i haven't gotten able to talk to anybody that i've met out here so yeah. now you're here. Yeah, definitely. I, f- I feel honored. You know, Nico, I, definitely, <laughs> I love the work that you do. I love, I think we both are in kind of like that same category. Absolutely. Um, you know, music has really brought us together. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember the first time I met you, we were building a rock wall in our backyard. <laughs> yep. And the first discussion we had was on electronic music. Exactly. The genres that we, that we fucked with and uh-huh. the ones that we definitely didn't. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. And it, it was, it's just so crazy. Yeah, like I've only known you for three months, but it feels like. You've come over a lot here. You're friends with my roommates, and now we've became good friends, and it's just been great. So, brother, welcome and thank you. This is going to be fun. Um, but now you turned into a promoter, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, I actually don't like the the, the term. Title. Yeah, 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 promoter, because uh, I think it kind of has a negative connotation. Yeah. Um, in the industry, and when we actually threw our first show. The day before the show, someone came up to me. I don't even remember who, and they're like, "Well, good, good, uh, good job becoming a promoter and never enjoying the show ever again." Oh, and I was like, "What? I did not. Get <laughs> you this. didn't sign up for <laughs> this. I just wanted to put on a good event." So the event, Rollin' Rave, was the first drive-in 
electronic concert thrown in Salt Lake City during this COVID pandemic. Probably one of the first big mass events that Salt Lake City has had in its, you know, town and the city. Uh, how many people did you guys end up having? Yeah, so we ended up having uh, roughly 2,500 per day. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was great. We had a great lineup. We had a great team. Um, and obviously, number one, the patrons, you know, yeah. were incredible. Um, you know, I think promoters, they get a lot of hype for what they do. But in reality, it's it's the patrons. It's mm -hmm. them purchasing the tickets that allows the show to go on. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, throughout the show, I was just thinking everyone on the ground, you know, thanks for coming out. Yeah. This is totally your show. It's not our show. Right. This is, this is for you guys, 100%. Yeah, it was very... Uh, spontaneous, right? The, the way that the show came about. I remember you, I mean, the show was the September 11th, September 12th, right? Correct. And I remember we talked probably right at the beginning of August when you came to me and told me about what you were doing and your idea. And I was like, wow, this is going to be crazy. Like, you're actually doing it. And damn, you fucking did it. You and your crew, you guys put on a show with Subtronics, okay? I mean, if you listen to EDM and you listen to the dubby step of the world, you know who Subtronics is. And that's a big name, dude, for a first one-time event, for a one-year event, first time you guys came out of nowhere. You guys didn't have any previous events, no other work experience with it. You guys just came out, did it, got your investors, did what you got to do, and you booked your first show. So congrats, dude. I mean, that's a fucking huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. I think we're all still in shock, yeah. post-show post shock, yeah. that it, you know we actually pulled it off and... You know, especially with uh, everything that we had to confront, mm -hmm. um, trying to get it to uh, happen, and especially during COVID. I mean, yeah. we were facing public health committees. We were facing artists that wanted to pull out, um, you know, a, a huge list. And, you know, I remember talking to you about it. You were actually one of the first people I, I brought the idea to. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because we were just in a climbing gym when it all started. Mm -hmm. And we, we were essentially just talking about uh, festivals and my buddy was talking about throwing a hammock festival, your roommate, yeah. Spencer. Yeah. And he wanted to just get, you know, 200 people up in the Uintas. Yeah. And we were just thinking, you know, hey, how can, how can we get 2,000 people right. up into the Uintas? And um, we were just so excited, so on board with mm -hmm. that. And it just—it was just kind of like a snowball rolling down a hill. Yeah, yeah. It was just just collecting more momentum. ideas being thrown in. Like you're like, okay, yeah, let's get let's keep doing this for sure, for sure, dude. And then who made who who finally just said like, fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, I would say all three of us who were there at the climbing gym, we just when we were talking about this idea, we just we just could feel the energy. For sure. We just we knew mm -hmm. that we were going to do this. And it, and it's funny cuz I I I was just so excited mm -hmm. about this idea that 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 night I was just thinking about all of the the possibilities, you know, how we could possibly do it. And the more I thought about it, I I just kind of actually got to a place where I was like, man, there's no way this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way with COVID, you know, how are we going to get around this? And uh, I went to bed and I'm like, well, you know, it's just probably one of those ideas that, you know, goes in one ear, out right. the other. And I woke up the next day and my my former business partner, uh, Danny Krotz, he gave me a call. Mm -hmm. And he's like, look, I have an idea on how we can actually throw this mm -hmm. and make it successful. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
before that, the idea of a drive-in hadn't even crossed our minds. Right. We were just anticipating, you know, some large-scale group mm-hmm. deep in the forest, you know, yeah. just undercover rave scene, which, you know, <laughs> that's the rave scene was born there, right. and I'll make sure that it dies there. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that's where, like, the real shit happens, <laughs> like, deep in the caves. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So then, so then you guys just kept... Uh, he came to you with the idea. Yeah, he, he essentially told me, and, and it hadn't even crossed my mind, he's like, you know, they're doing these things, they're called driving raves uh-huh. in Colorado. Yeah. And I heard that idea, and I'm like, there's no way in hell that that's, <laughs> like, cool or like, <laughs> right. going to work. You it's know? not going to work, right. I'm like, I've been to a rave, like, if I had to be in my car for that shit, like, yeah, dude. Forget it. Right, like, you have to, like rail like ride the rail on your own truck you know like (laughs) like that's how you look at it but then it gained success it really did like i i saw some like right as you started to to come up with the ideas of of doing the drive-in rave i saw a lot of bigger big artists start throwing private shows like uh rez was doing stuff and um uh, like AJR, a group that I follow, was doing stuff out in like North Carolina and stuff. And then it was crazy because then you came with the idea to me, like telling me the idea about driving raves. So then, how how hard was this to sell to the people that were in charge of letting you do this? Yeah. So that that really comes down to a couple of different uh, categories in the industry, mm-hmm. right? Um, the first were you know it was the venue selection. Mm-hmm. That, that was our biggest hurdle. Um, we, you know, I got that call from Danny and essentially as I was analyzing this, just from like a business perspective, I was looking at it as, you know, there's so much demand for this Mm -hmm. from the youth and, you know, a big portion of why I did it was because I just, I wanted to see live music so bad. Mm -hmm. And as I was analyzing all of this, you know, super high demand and then no supply, I was like, there's no way this can't be successful. And so we, we all got together and we met at Beans and Brews like every day for yeah. like a month. And with COVID, we had, we had to do this all outside. Wow. So as soon as our laptops would die, we'd have to go charge them in my buddy's uh, van. Both my business partners, they lived in their vans at the time. <laughs> wow. Which doesn't sound great, but, it, you know, we're talking uh, in, here, yeah. Instagram vans. Yeah, yeah. You know? out here in Utah, everyone does that shit out here. It's normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fancy queen beds, yeah. wood-burning stoves. They're fine. Oh, yeah. They're no, fine. no, they, they're, they're great. They're living, they're living the dream for sure. Um, but you know, we're at beans and brews, it's hot, it's July. And, you know, we spent three, four days just all day long looking for venues. And we came across, uh, you know, another, you know, speaking of gems, just a completely unused, uh, motor sportsway out in Grantsville. Yeah. And we're like, all right, we, this is it. Yeah. This is it. And um, from that point on, it was getting them bought on mm-hmm. to the idea. Um, but, but for everybody, it, it actually was pretty simple because of the state that they were in due to COVID. Yeah. Um, they needed something to be held there. They were losing a lot of money. Exactly right. I mean, there were no events there since March. Mm-hmm. And we're talking the end of July. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we were able to do is essentially have a conversation and leverage a lot of um, a lot of that that COVID loss mm-hmm. with them to get them to agree. So the UMC gave us a killer deal. Right. Uh, initially, they said you know twenty thousand, mm-hmm. and we had bought out food vendors for twenty five hundred just mm-hmm. to ensure that people weren't going to go around and pile up around right. the food vendors. Right. 
And I mean, 20,000 for a venue is, you know, drop in the bucket. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, our next hurdle was definitely, I, I, and I'd say the biggest one was getting the artist management teams Oh yeah. to, you know, especially with the lineup that we had. Right. right. Um, I mean, you could, you could get C and D artists to do that kind of shit Absolutely. all day. And then dude, they'll come out and they'll play for free. Exactly. They just want to play a show, but you know, uh, you know, our A-list artists, they, they just have a certain expectation. Mm-hmm. They have their writers that they want to have fulfilled. Oh yes. And, and yeah, they made sure that we knew that we needed to fill those writers. <laughs> oh dude, dude, I quick little, uh, side story. I remember my, one of my first shows, um, that I got to do it was a music festival in Grand Rapids. It was, I, I opened the main stage that day and the closing artist was Elenium and like cash, cash performed there and everything super small, brand new festival, but it fucking happened. Right. So, uh, one of the, the artist managers, he was going around taking the riders and he, and he came up to me and I, I didn't know what a fucking rider was, dude. So he, te- he comes up to me. He's like, wait, what do you want on your rider? And I was like, I don't know what that means, dude. And they were like, it's what you want in your dressing room when, when you get there, you know, all your expectations, all this and this. And I was just like, I don't know. Like it was literally my first show. So I was like, I don't know, like cheese, it's some chips, <laughs> a bottle of gray goose and some tequila. And they were like, that's it. I was like, that's all I, I don't know what else to say. Hey man, that sounds like a pretty good writer to me. <laughs> right. I was like, fuck it. Cheese, it's chips, gray goose and Don Julio. And they hooked it up. How, how stringent were the riders here and were they tougher? Were they harder to get because of COVID? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And it's, and it's kind of funny because, you know, during our first conversation, when mm-hmm. I even pitched this idea to you, mm-hmm. um, one of the first things you recommended to me was like, hey, make sure you're fulfilling that rider. Uh-huh. It is super important. And it's, it's funny because, you know, we, we tried to make that an emphasis as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as soon as game day showed up, we, mm-hmm. we just started running out of money. Yeah. And and it was a very real thing. We just didn't have um, the credibility. Right. A lot of people were calling us Fire Festival. We had local yeah. promoters attacking us as mm-hmm. soon as we went live and, you know, claiming that Subtronics uh, fans don't care about COVID and that they dude, don't yeah. wear their masks. The Facebook know? comments were kind of ruthless sometimes, dude. I was reading some of them and I was like, geez, these guys... Like let them ha- let them throw the show. Like figure out for yourself if it's real or not. Like, oh, I, I mean, Jake Bernstein from uh, United Talent Agency won't won't even talk to these guys yeah. anymore because of how they they treated us. Yeah, and uh, you know it was a huge impact on ticket sales. Not having that uh, that uh, notoriety and kind of that that show record. And so, you know, it came to the point where it was just like, you, we, we just don't have this. And I, it, right. I, I was scared to send that email out to yeah. the artists and yeah. the management teams because, you know, it just anything could just get them to pull the show. Right. But they, they were super cool about it. Yeah. They were super cool. That's they so... were like, you know what, dude, it's 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 okay. Yeah. You know, you guys threw on a badass show. Yeah. And so and we'll be okay. Yeah. And it all and it all went good. And it, it all worked out. It right? all worked out. Right. <laughs> dude, like. How how nervous were you on game day? Like for for COVID reasons, like uh, people reasons, like what what? Because they always say everything's gonna go wrong, right? So every so what was like what went wrong that day that scared the shit out of you? Yeah, you know that that's uh it, it it's 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 kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. It, 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 
some point because you know we had just been working so hard yeah um i i'd stayed up essentially a week straight before Mm -hmm. the event just getting things ready i mean even simple things like setting up all the bike rack fence that we had to put out Mm -hmm. like i was just out there just laying that down and and so the exhaustion level was super high but we we all had you know i mean we all we're all mountaineers Uh everyone all my business partners and myself our mountaineers were always, you know, just extremely rugged environment. Mm-hmm. And so we understand that it's, you, you just got to keep pushing forward. Mm-hmm. It's like, no one's getting you off this mountain. There's no cavalry coming in. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's going to be you and your effort. And so we just kind of, we dug our heels in and, and move forward. But, you know, a cu- couple of, of examples, you know, we, audio came to us yeah. on day two and they're like, we're, we're going to shut off the audio <gasps> because you guys need to pay us $16,000 today. <gasps> Or we're shutting it off, oh. Oh. and you know it, it's it was it's stuff like that where, you know, fortunately the day before we made ten grand in ticket sales, yeah, and then we just were able to scrape together the yeah. other you know six six grand and and, and get it done. Um, another another really great one was the mayor uh-huh. actually called us up on day two because we had a thousand noise complaints. <laughs> I. I bet, dude. <laughs> like you guys, I from I remember like when we were talking about you're like we're gonna blow the fucking place out, like because you said they were like, there's no noise restrictions, there's no noise restrictions, and then you say <laughs> we got a thousand noise complaints. I'm like, I can imagine these old people around the track listening to dubstep. They're probably like, what is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the first time we toured, you know, because we, we you pick a venue and then you go out you and go you out tour and see it. it, yeah, um, and then it goes into like contract negotiation. Mm-hmm. They pitch something, we redline, you know, what we want or what we don't want, and that mm-hmm. kind of goes back and forth for a little bit. And uh, you know, the first time we had even toured the venue, um, they told us there's there's no sound ordinance out here. This is, uh, you know, a raceway, mm-hmm. and I I I almost passed out right there. <laughs> Like a, you know, 17th century Victorian <laughs> duchess. <laughs> it's like, we could turn it to a 10, literally. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. This is a dream come true. Literally. And, and For it, you and the artist. Oh, like, yeah. You, like, you could tell the artist that they're going to play it the loudest they've ever heard it. Sell. Absolutely. And so, that and that was our intention, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was there was uh, no sound ordinance, so we're like, crank that bitch. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, dude, there's nothing. Crank that. And then we got a thousand noise complaints. They couldn't call 911. Because there, there was so many old people just calling on the on the phones to nine one one to know, complain about to, the noise. Yep, yep. That the dispatcher wasn't. No one could reach no, no, the yeah, dispatcher. Yeah, there was a real emergency. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was a real emergency for some of those old oh people. Oh my god! Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine they're like watching like the seven hundred club for like the fiftieth time that day, and they just hear like Grizztronics <laughs> in the background, <laughs> and they're like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> but the show went off. Day 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 two's over. What do you what did you learn the most from it? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And and that's that's one I've I've been thinking about that question a lot, even even, you know, a couple of weeks. A lot of like self reflection after the event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Andrew Gumas, um, we, we brought him on in order to kind of get some of these management agencies to kind of look at us and say like, Hey, no, these guys are okay. We're checking them off. Like mm-hmm. we've reviewed their business plans mm-hmm. and you know, this isn't going to be a fire festival. You can trust these guys. Right. And he's super, he's done hundreds of shows mm-hmm. and you know, he told me, he's like, you know, a show is like going to war mm-hmm. and 
I have never heard a more true statement in my life. Right. The craziness, there's just, you know, people being handcuffed and they just disappear. Yeah. There's, you know, all sorts of problems that start yeah. to happen, you know. Your walkie-talkies going off like crazy that day, nonstop. <laughs> you know what? Like, you, you literally can't take a break. Did you eat? Were you able to eat at the event? No, you know, I didn't even eat day two. Yeah, at all. I, I doubt it. I, I I was just running around. I had we literally had just like meal requests, right? Yeah. That we'd give to the artists, that yeah. we'd get, give to some of you know the VIPs, mm-hmm. um, like our audio VJ, just whoever. And you know, I, I just had all my meal requests just stacked up in boxes <laughs> on my desk in yeah. HQ, and I'm just like, I don't even, I can't even have time to yeah. do this yeah. right now. And um, you know, Jeez. I think you know. Um, just like all great war stories, right? It's the best war stories are the ones who, uh, had that, that self-sacrifice, you know, they were really looking out for the other guy Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of opportunity for that throwing the show, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone's exhausted. Um, and I think the biggest thing I learned was to, um, make that like a priority in my life, Mm -hmm. make that self-sacrifice like, Hey, you know, I I might want to be watching Stuka's set, you Mm -hmm. know, watch Jeffrey do his thing. But in reality, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to be up here with uh, Squanto and Boogie T right. and Jake Bernstein yep. and just shooting the shit with them, even though I want to be, you know. Somewhere else. You want to be watching. But, yeah, you realize that you have to, like you said, you're never going to be able to see a show again, right? You had to give up the sets that you wanted to see to be able to be put on, like, a good show. Exactly. And and, and, and that's why that uh, that comment just, uh, just, it just burns in my brain so much because he was so true it's just yeah. that that show i loved it i absolutely loved rolling rave i loved pulling it off i loved everybody that i worked with um you know top down but at the end of the day it's just like it, it is hard work mm-hmm. old school just hard work yeah and then it's like a tattoo though you throw your first one you get your first tattoo now now you want to throw another one you want to get another one done so, oh man it's it's so addictive yeah it's <laughs> It's like, oh, shit, I was able to do this with this amount of time. Okay, what am I able to do if I give myself more time now that I know 50% of the things I didn't know earlier, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, that's, you know, kind of already the mindset that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Just trying to uh, um, get get ready for the next one. Yeah. It's just I, I, I dream about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we went three months just working 16 hours a day. Right. We were at the climbing gym just every single day just having the the most crucial calls of our life Mm -hmm. where if any one of those conversations went wrong the whole show wouldn't have happened and going from that to just like it's just over it's right it's it's just i feel empty (laughs) right it's like shit i gotta get that fix again right you gotta get that you gotta be able to uh figure out what you're gonna do next and i think what's so cool about utah is that it's there the market the edm scene out here it it exists, but it hasn't been exploited. It hasn't been brought out of its shell yet. I mean, and I've just lived here for three months, and I've been able to realize that, like, there's a crowd here for EDM, but there's nowhere to go for EDM here. And I think that's what you're kind of trying to get into, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to be uh, the, you know, um, for me, anyways, mm-hmm. my, my background is just extremely heavy metal mm-hmm. followed by an upbringing of extremely heavy dubstep. Yeah. And, you know, to make Salt Lake City the dubstep capital of the world. Yeah. Where if you know you're going to a show in Salt Lake City, it's like, you better get ready for that shit. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. That'd, be, that'd be a dream of mine. And especially looking at uh, the way V2, uh, the local promoters out here treated mm-hmm. us, 
and you know just the sentiment that mm -hmm. everyone has for v2 um i mean when we were throwing the show we were just like free water yeah it's just a non-negotiable yeah and i don't know why you know these venues charge you know five bucks for yeah. a bottle of water yeah v2 <laughs> but they do yeah and and so there's a lot of sentiment here in salt lake for those promoters and, mm -hmm. and so we just we just kind of want to change it from you know kind of that grungy rave scene right to you know kind of a, a healing process for a lot of people it's it's okay. the music industry yeah um that can just you know really bring people together um and you know calm a lot of the differences that we have yeah you know, in our nation what are what are some of the wrong sayings and hearsays about like dubstep music that like bother you yeah you know i I don't like when uh, people think that it's just something that is extremely simple to create mm -hmm. or that it, um, they, they just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't get too mad at people that, that don't understand it. I've, I've been to so many shows on, you know, who knows what. Yeah. I feel like my mind is just like morphed into dubstep. Yeah. And uh, so I, I could see where like my, my love for it is just like so deep. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's when, when people are talking about this music, artists spend, um, you know, an, an extremely uh, big portion of their lifetime mm -hmm. creating this. And even Subtronics, he, he finished the show playing uh, classical music. Really? And and even, you know, Stuka, Jeffrey, um, when you listen to his Lost Land set, you know, he starts it out with classical music. Yeah. And so... You know, and, and when I watch them create it and all of the different octaves that they're using, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's you know, we had uh, Squanto, Eric, we had him come out and do an octachop. Yeah. You know, he's, he's mixing eight songs yeah, at the same dude. time. The chop it's, God. Dude, it's it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's, how could you hate it's that? It's art. It really, Absolutely. it is art. I think, like, being able to do that, and I've learned that being a DJ, too, it's like, you got to just understand that like you couldn't do that. So it's like, if you couldn't do that, I couldn't draw the fucking Mona Lisa and fucking, uh, he could. So if he can chop eight songs up, I'm going to give him his praise and say good shit instead of tarnishing it. Even though I don't l maybe like how it sounds, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, that's, that's why I went the promoter route. Yeah. I, I, there's no way I can play that. So I just yeah. let the, the best and the brightest get in mm -hmm. and do their thing. I love when artists like open sets with like an orchestral intro yes. building into a drop or, uh, some of my favorites, like, like Odessa obviously does oh, it a absolutely. lot. Uh, and then, uh, Martin Garrix, who's yep. my favorite, my favorite like DJ in the world, number one in Europe, number one all over the world. But his orchestral intros to some of his songs are like so empowering, and I feel like it like gives you that like sense of hope that you need for the show. You know, like you hear this these strings and these trumpets and all that, and it gets you just ready for that experience, like that show, and then it drops, and then like like all that ecstasy just comes out, you know? Absolutely, and I, and I feel, you know, this is just my personal belief, I just, I feel the trajectory of electronic music is the next classical. Mm. The, the ability of those artists to play whatever they want is mm -hmm. just at their fingertips, mm -hmm. and you know, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna get someone like Mozart. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and maybe we've seen a couple in the industry. I would definitely say we've seen, you know, a couple. But, you know, when, when one of these guys comes along and he's 12, mm -hmm. you know, and he's just playing just eloquent electronic music yeah. that, that just shifts the world. You know, yeah. I'm really I'm really hoping we see that in our lifetime. It, 
that's you bring up an interesting point because there's Mozart, there's Beethoven's, there's the box of that everybody knows. And they're known because they did something maybe that no one had ever done before, uh, you know, in their era that they grew up in. But I think, could you compare, like, a Mozart to, like, other artists nowadays? Because there's artists that recreated industries and genres, like Avicii. Like, he combined country music and electronic with Wake Me Up, when Wake Me Up came out. Like, Mozart changed the world, too, and so did Avicii when he combined those. So could you say that Avicii is, like, a Mozart? Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, I'd say, you know, they have their similarities. Mm -hmm. Um, But to compare Starry Night to, you know, a uh, postmodernist interpretation of a Campbell's can of soup. Right. Right. Each has their own place in society. And, and, you know, when I I think of art, it's something that that moves me Mm -hmm. and it generates feeling. And so I I think absolutely we could we could go over the, the fact that, yeah, the similarities are there. Um, but the uniqueness, mm-hmm. I think, is what uh, what drives us to to search after them mm-hmm. and to to bring up these artists and to to give them the credit that they you know that they deserve. Yeah, who are uh, when you were growing up, like, like you said, D- dubstep was in your life from the early stage. I mean, I remember when Skrillex came out, and it when I heard Skrillex for the first time, I literally like said, "What the fuck? Like, what the fuck is this?" You know, like absolutely. Like, when I heard uh, "Scary Monsters and Nice Spirits" for the yep. first time. I, I literally didn't know what to do. Did you have that same reaction? Like, yeah, it's, like, dude, that's so awesome that you're you're bringing this up because absolutely. Yeah, for, for me it was it was Flux Pavilion. Yeah, oh I I can't God. stop. Oh my on God. YouTube, Gold Dust, like like. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> I was just listening to it. Someone had showed it to me in school, and I was like, "What is this? Mm-hmm. It's what dubstep? What is a dubstep? Like, like I remember just like." Uh, uh, fucking cinema, like that was oh, such c- a cinema. One of my favorites. That's that's gonna go down forever. Is absolutely one of the most timeless electronic songs ever. <laughs> so it's just so like crazy that like that genre now is still around one, and it's getting like you said. I feel like it's getting bigger, right? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 just driving more and more every single day mm-hmm. into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you're talking about Cascade, yeah. or you know Sunny Moore Skrillex, mm-hmm. uh, you know going a lot more into like this rap um, with Ikali. Yeah, and uh, you know it's funny that you bring up Skrillex because my my first show was when I was 15. Yeah, and it was at the Saltaire. It was it was Skrillex and Porter Robinson, and that, that Porter Robinson was seventeen. They had to let him play first because he, he couldn't be out. Yeah, he had a curfew, yeah. a legal curfew, and he he played, and that's when Spitfire had come out. Wow! And Scary Monsters and Nice Spirits <laughs> well, had just dropped. It was it was so packed at that venue. The fire marshal was threatening to shut it down. Oh, I bet, dude. And it was just I was like, I love this. Skrillex has always been like I I've never seen Skrillex. I've seen Porter. And Porter, Porter Live is, go see it. Like, find a way to go see Porter Live because Porter is life ch- His music is just so euphoric. I love it. But I've never seen Skrillex. Are there any artists that you haven't seen that you still, like, are dying to fucking see? Oh, man. I'm sure there's a lot. But are there any that are sticking out? You know, there's there's a lot of up-and-coming artists. Mm-hmm. You know, ISOXO. Okay. Who is just killing it right now. Uh-huh. Um, and Gem X, RL Grime, I really want to see. He's a, amazing. Really amazing need, need to see him live. 
Um, but other, other than that, you know, I, I try to stay really on top of the festival scene and that, yeah. and that you know, when we when we talk about experience on, you know, how I got involved with this project and mm-hmm. we, we just got this going and, and through it, it was just simply me going to any club show mm-hmm. that was here in Salt Lake city mm-hmm. every single weekend and you know any festival i could get my hands on i was just always there you just wanted to see what they were doing just, who was there how it was running like all that shit i you just were taking I just mental notes it. yeah i love it and so so when we started throwing this and it's it's funny because insomniac actually hit us up um after we got about a month and a half into the project they're mm-hmm. like well these these guys are doing something mm-hmm. and when when that occurred what they asked us was how many shows have you guys been to mm-hmm. and you know between you know the three of us i mean it was it was probably 600 shows yeah that we've all seen it's just constantly one after another yeah festivals small shows small underground like everything just combined like that so you're just getting well cultured in the music scene because you just want to know and you've seen it all how that they've all they're all different you know like a dubstep festival is completely different than a house festival. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, so, Get your neck braces for the dubstep <laughs> festival, right? Right. right. <laughs> Did anyone anyone uh, ride the rail or anything? Anyone get hurt? Oh, my goodness. We actually got a charge for five grand from the rail company because we rented them. Yeah. And they charged us five grand because, you know, and as I was cleaning up the site the day after, everyone went home, right? But, right. you know, we were, we were we out there the next, there the day, next day, day, yeah, and loading the next up day, bike rack yeah. and, you know, getting everything cleaned up, found a bunch of goodies on the ground. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's just one after another, just rails just completely bent in half during the show, just watching people just jumping on their yeah, rails. Right. Like, what is going on right. here? Right, dude. That's... <laughs> Oh my god! I remember one time I was at Lollapalooza, and um, <laughs> this is so funny because the artist that was on stage was DJ Diesel, also known as Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> and his DJ Dave. So he was on stage DJing, and I was like towards the front of the of the show. And I've I've never liked in like in like EDM shows. I don't like being in the pit. I've never liked being like front row, just because like I'm not claustrophobic. I just don't like people fucking touching me. You know, <laughs> so. Shaq came on and I didn't think it was going to be as dubstepy as he as he is but dude like within the first like three songs just boom just drops it and the whole fucking crowd started shifting and I was like <laughs> you know how you have to like shimmy your way out oh, of oh, the yeah. crowds oh, like absolutely. you have to like dance your way around everybody do people were like pressing against us this poor girl I made eye contact with her she was in the front and you just saw her getting like squished <laughs> in the front and I'm like Oh, she did. <laughs> like, like, oh my! But you didn't have to worry about that because of the cars, you know. Well, yeah, you know, it, it it was a concern. You know, bringing in the cars brought up different problems, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, what if someone gets intoxicated and gets in their car, so they just start driving around, right? You know what I mean, right? Um, so, you know, to to a certain extent, you know, we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, someone just asphyxiating some small individual, yeah. just not being able to get out of a crowd, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there, there were other concerns that were, you mm-hmm. know, very, very relevant, and very, very present. relevant and very real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad you did it, dude. You got your taste and, and now we're we're on to the next one. Right. You take what you learn. You you rally your crew, whoever's still involved, whoever wants to go in again and 
you get your hands dirty and you go back in. And I know you're probably going to fucking do that and you're ready to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we're, you know, I mean, you heard it here first, but we're, yeah, we're definitely planning one yeah, right now. Absolutely. And I can't wait. I mean, I've, we've, we've been here and there talking about the details for the next one and I'm not going to ask you to say anything about it, but I'm excited for it. And I know that you're going to do just as well as you did at this one, if not better, cause you're just going to learn and you're going to keep uh, pursuing it. And, the biggest thing is just fucking doing it because once you do it, it's already easier to do the next one, right? That unknown of doing an event was scary, but now that you've overcome it, you can do the next one because it's going to be easier, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, th- these are excellent points that you're bringing up. Like one of the biggest things I learned uh, going through all of this was that um, I'd been limiting myself a huge amount. Yeah. You know, now when I think of an idea or have a project or something is, you know, blocking me in my life, I'm like, no, we can absolutely. Nothing's work. impossible. Yeah, we can work around this. Right. We can push right through it. Like, it, and it's as cliche as it is. It's like you, you can do anything. Anything, especially now. Maybe like 50 years ago when like they're like, you can't do that. They're like, OK, you're right. But now with technology, <laughs> with technology and shit, you can literally Find anyone's contact. If you need to try to get in contact with the fucking president or your fucking uh, Senate or any, you can do that. And it's easy. You can do it on Twitter. You can do, you can find information anywhere, right? So you can literally do anything. It's, it's a very niche cliche, but like now in 2020, more than ever, it's so relevant and real. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think, I think COVID got people down, Mm -hmm. you know, just across the board on, on just that idea and i think we all just need to start as you know a collective society just like really having you know you, you think of like the great awakening mm-hmm. you know elizabethan era you know um uh, ideologies and philosophy of just you know being a better person mm-hmm. and accomplishing these things it's just i i hope that we can have a movement as well mm-hmm. where we can look at you know some of maybe the the more destructive aspects of society maybe it's like social media mm-hmm. maybe it's you know our political system whatever mm-hmm. it is i hope we can just come together and work past it and yeah. and become a better society absolutely absolutely and yeah I, what's so crazy is that a hundred years ago we were in a de- we were coming off of a depression, right? And we were coming into our, our roaring twenties, and now this is our roaring twenties, right? And I feel like that next big thing that you're saying, like next big awakening, it's on the horizon. It we've had little ones come about in the last five years. I feel like with movements and everything, but I think that next big movement is coming, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of, you know, touch bases on that, you know, it's I would say anything is possible, but you can't do it alone. Right. Absolutely. You have to be with the right people. Mm -hmm. You have to make the right sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And for us, you know, throwing this this event, we had Jake Bernstein from United Talent Agency. Um, when he hit us up, he's like, "Okay, who's KPM Mm -hmm. and uh, how many shows have we done with you? And, And we couldn't we couldn't respond to that email until we had brought on the right crew. Mm -hmm. And at that point they taught us everything, bringing on people like Kevin Madart, you know, Andrew Gumas. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point it was just like, you know, yeah, we're doing this. And they, they held us up when I was feeling down, when they were feeling down, you know, hopefully I brought them up. Right. We just moved forward with the plan. Never be afraid to learn. Absolutely. Because no, because you're like, you're, you know, you learn something every day, but it's true. 
It's we don't know everything. And if you're afraid to ask for help or admit that you need help, I feel like that hinders you a lot more. Those people that ask for help, they they get more, you know, they find more and they get they learn more through anything that they go through. And the biggest thing is that, yeah, like you said, you can't do it alone. Nobody can. You need a support system. You need you need friends to calm you down after the show when you're fucking coming home who have nothing to do with the show you need them in your life to keep you you know leveled and stuff like hey it's okay don't worry about it shit because you know drama happens you know shit happens at the shows and you you need those people to level you out and stuff and i hope that you have that yeah you know i you know i hope i'm working towards that i don't right. know if i have it yet um and, it, and it's funny that you know shit absolutely happens at the shows mm-hmm. i i don't even talk to you know the original two guys that we threw this uh this event with oh you know th- shit just went so far south yeah. in so many different areas yeah. that you know they just completely cut it off and you know i love danny i love alex mm-hmm. and I, I learned so much from him but you know it's it's unfortunate that uh you know, I think I tried to keep that mentality mm-hmm. of having an open mind and asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't think they took it like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, man. And Roland Rave, it was this past uh, this past September here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, is it are you hoping it's an annual a thing where it could be? kind of brought back in maybe till when the world returns to normal, hopefully with having live crowds again, are you looking to maybe bring that name back or is it kind of like, Hey, we did it, but we're on to bigger and better. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a deep question. You know, going into this, um, you know, one of, one of the greatest business minds I look up to, you know, is Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason those guys are so amazing is because they're always looking towards the future. Right. And whenever I was negotiating a contract or, you know, settling something with an artist, Mm -hmm. it was like, hey, man, like this isn't the only thing that we're looking towards. Like Mm -hmm. we're looking to do this and then, you know, move forward with, you know, X amount of shows in the Mm -hmm. future. And so from the beginning we had that, uh, mentality and I, I would say absolutely, you know, it's like we're, we're in the works right now for planning another show, you know, maybe, maybe you guys can expect a roll in snow. Yeah. Oh, oh, I like that. I fucking like that. That's nice. I like that. But <laughs> I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing I think that I take away from the industry, and I think I've mentioned it to you before, it's not about who, you know, it's about who knows you, right? Because if you throw this show, all this shit, and you meet all these people, if they don't remember you later on, it doesn't really matter, right? It's about building those long-lasting relationships for the future. Because like you did with uh, the motorsport, let's say something like this happens again where they, they don't have business. You know, They can't get business stuff. They're going to give you a call and say, hey, what do you know? What can we do? What can we plan? We need help, you know? So, yeah. And it's, uh, that perception is everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the times, and I'm, I'm very guilty of this, you know, we think, Hey, we're doing such a great job here, here and here, but in, you know, reality, whether it's like in our relationships, our marriage, uh, in our work, um, in reality, it could be completely different. And so there, there is a, a lot of value on analyzing, uh, the perception that people have on you, even though, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't give a fuck about what people think about me. It's right. like, you should, you should, 
because <laughs> in reality, you know, looking at that can change a lot of your actions. If, if people are looking at you and they, they see that you're not working hard mm-hmm. um, and their perception is that you're lazy, it's like it doesn't matter that you're the hardest working motherfucker out there. Right. Like you need to change how people are perceiving that. Right. Right. Couldn't agree more, man. Couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah. I hope I hope Nico. you enjoyed it, brother. I, I, I loved it, man. Yeah. I really love it. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. And it's only the beginning. We'll have you on in future shows, but we had to get the first one out of the way. Good. Now the second one will be easier, so on and so forth, kind of like the shows, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. Jason Morris, uh, Colorful Convos with Nico, episode 29. We will see you guys soon for episode 30. Jason, thank you, homie. Peace out. What? what?